Well, we return tonight to Luke chapter 2, reading on from where we left off this morning, beginning at Luke 2.21, and looking tonight at the Lord's work through Simeon in the temple. Luke 2, beginning at verse 21, the word of the Lord, as the story continues here in the gospel according to Luke, a week later now, Luke 2, verse 21, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. We'll end scripture reading there. Let's bow before God and ask for his help. <clears throat> oh Lord, our God, we come to your word again, so grateful for the inspired revelation. and praying, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive it. May we not take for granted the wonder of what you've done and your grace in revealing it to us. Give us faith, we pray, to believe these things, to take them to heart, and to rest in our Christ, our Redeemer. In his name we pray, amen. Well, brothers and sisters, two 
saints were on hand to greet the Messiah in the temple in God's glorious providence. Two remarkable people, Simeon and then Anna. Both of them were godly, devout. Both of them, it seems, were probably older. Anna is clearly older, and it seems Simeon was, was looking toward the ends of his life here. And they're both led by the Lord to recognize that this little bundle of joy that Joseph and Mary had brought into the temple was not an ordinary baby, but this was the baby. This was the Christ child, the Redeemer. And so they rejoice, and they give thanks, and they proclaim it. And as we think about this and what we saw this morning, then we see that, that the Lord surrounded the birth of Jesus with many remarkable happenings, right? We have the, the angels this morning, the announcement, and then the, the host in heaven chanting God's praise. But it's fitting, don't you think, that, that the Redeemer be greeted not just by angels, but, but by people, by humans, by sinners, the ones he came to save. And it was, it was fitting that he be praised and greeted not just in Bethlehem and the, the fields out there, but in the temple. The temple was the center place of the waiting and the hoping of God's people throughout the ages. It was fit that that Christ should be greeted in the house of God, where so many prayers had been offered and sacrifice, foreshadowing the sacrifice he would offer. It was right that in the temple, God should prepare this witness. Now, we, for a few weeks, have been looking at this theme, Jesus, Savior of the world. And John, as I mentioned at the outset, John says in 1 John 4.14, and we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. John can say as an apostle, we've seen it, we testify to it, the Father sent the Son as the Savior of the world. And then in in the gospel, according to John chapter 4, the Samaritans, after Jesus ministered to them, were able to say to the Samaritan woman who, who met Jesus at the well, they could say, now we believe not because of what you said, the Samaritan woman, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And now Simeon sees it, and he gets it. And if by God's grace we're able to say that, we're able to look upon Jesus Christ and say, this is it, this is the Savior of the world, then three things will happen. Number one, we'll be saved, right? We have an eternity in store for us with God. We have have recognized and put our trust in the Savior of the world. And number two, God will be praised because we will join the angels and we we will join the shepherds, we will join... Simeon and Anna to praise God, to save the world he's given to us. And the third thing is that we'll want to tell other people, right? We'll, we'll want this name of Christ made known. We'll want those living in darkness to see the light. And so we we'll want to send out missionaries and church planters and ourselves to be faithful witnesses of Christ. So let's look tonight as God, <clears throat> through his servant Simeon here, testifies to the salvation he's prepared Look at the expectant waiting, and then the spiritual seeing, and then the piercing warning. Well, who is it that teaches God's people to wait for the Messiah? Someone has called Simeon the spirit-saturated man. And if you listen closely to verses 25 through 26, then you would know why that is, I guess, because we read that there was a man in Jerusalem, his name was Simeon, and he's waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, 
Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And so here's a man who's being led by the Spirit. And by the Spirit preparing him, the Christ child receives this warm reception. Now, Simeon, in many ways, was doing simply what every Israelite was called to do. They were called to wait and to pray, Lord, send Messiah. Send the Messiah to us. And they were to recognize that, that they needed this Messiah. There was great distress in the nation of Israel, right? They were a people under a foreign power, a sign that they had betrayed God. They had forfeited their status as an independent nation. And there was hostility of their enemies. There was waywardness among God's people. There was the, the sorrows of their own sin and the brokenness of this world. And they were to wait. Lord, we're looking for the consolation, looking for the comfort, right? And yet... <clears throat> Simeon had received a special revelation, different from everyone else in Israel. He was told that he was going to see the Christ now before he died. Be quite something if the Lord had given to one of us a revelation that Jesus will return before you die. Or if Jesus had told us, you know, <clears throat> that the Father had told us that, that Christ is coming back in the year 2023. This will be it. This is the final year. And it would, it would change, wouldn't it? It would affect in some way how you live and the hope that you have. And, and God was doing this in Simeon to stir up that hope and to prepare someone to greet the Christ and in that way to, to save all of his people. So Simeon is on duty. He, when he finally sees Jesus, he, he says, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. You're dismissing me. You've stationed me upon the post. I've been guarding here. I've been watching and now you're dismissing your servant. The assignment is over. So Simeon stands watch. And really, wherever the Spirit is at work in the hearts of God's people, God's people do watch. Even though we don't have the, the, the day told us, and we don't know whether we'll die or Christ will return first, we know that wherever the Spirit works, there is this longing, God's people, and this looking and this watching for the Savior. And we see it in another saint here of the Threshold here, Anna, who stands also in the temple here, and she's older. We're not sure if she's 84 years old or if she's been widowed for 84 years, but she had the sorrow of losing a husband, and yet she's looking for her kinsman redeemer, isn't she? And then, as we said, Simeon is, seems to be older as well. He's looking towards his death, it seems. There's a couple older saints, remember, in chapter 1, we have Zachariah and Elizabeth, and so, as you read Luke 1 and 2, you end up with a number of, of, of older saints who are looking for the Redeemer, which leads one writer to make this remark. So, the remnant church we find in Luke 1 and 2 has a good sprinkling of senior citizen believers, which suggests that your gray hairs and aching bones and arthritic joints are welcome in Jesus' fellowship. Sort of an aside. But it's noteworthy, I think, to realize that in the community of Christ, you don't age out, nor are you put out to pasture. But it's often among the mature saints, right, in years that there's a maturity in faith and being tested and tried and so many things pried from our hands throughout our life. We're learning ever more to hope in the consolation, the comfort that God will send us, our Lord Jesus. No one is a fool who waits upon the Lord, even to the end of their days, you won't be ashamed if you wait on the Lord, the Bible says. And yet the, the text isn't given us here 
in order to show us age categories in the church. That's not the point, is it? But it's showing us that God has a remnant. He has a people who look for salvation in his Redeemer, who cling to him in hope. And Jesus, you know, even as he ministered, he encouraged such a thing. And he asked at one point, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth when he comes? Remember, that was that conclusion to the the parable of the persistent widow that comes later in Luke chapter 18, when this widow seeks justice justice from an ungodly judge, and he finally gives her justice just so she won't wear him out. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? And that's Christ's challenge to us, isn't it? Will, will God find a watching, a waiting people saying, I'm looking for the comfort to come from heaven, my Lord Jesus Christ, the consolation of Israel? And it is a challenge because it's easy to find comfort in many other places, many other things. There were many men and women of the age of Simeon and Anna who had lost hope in Israel. And there were many younger who were, who were seeking after comforts in the things of the earth and were not looking for the Redeemer to come. In fact, a great portion of that church of their day had, had simply failed or, or lost Focus in this task of waiting. Or if they were looking for a redeemer, they had redefined him now as the one who simply sets them free from Roman oppression. But they hadn't seen the real issue of their life in terms of sin. And there were the Pharisees who had taken over the temple and all their formalism and externalism and hypocrisy and legalism. These were bad days. And few were looking for the one who had come. To bring them the comfort of sin carried away and guilt removed and peace restored with God. Luke records later on in chapter 6, verse 24, Luke 6, 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel, but Jesus will say, Woe to the rich, you've received your your consolation. Verse 25, Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. That's the opposite of what Jesus says in Luke 6, 20 and 21. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. And you see what Jesus is doing. He's he's drawing out the contrast. Where do you seek your consolation? Where do you seek your comfort? Are you waiting for the, the consolation God supplies? Or have you sought your comfort in the things of the here and now? And we're called to renew our waiting and our expectation. It's commonplace now when you get on the phone and get put on hold with some company that... <clears throat> They will offer you, or the recording will offer you, the chance to press one and have them call you back. And if you, like me, have pressed one and had them not call you back, then every time you hear that, you wonder, should I do it or not? So, you know, it says you can press one and we'll call you back. 
Or you can hold on the line and you get a second to decide. I'll just wait. And then it goes back to the music. And five minutes later, they offer you another option. Press one or hold the line. Uh, Hold the line. And on and on it goes. But you have to keep renewing your waiting. And that's a little parable, isn't it, of the Christian life? Because every morning you get up, and are you going to press one? Or are you going to hold the line? Temptations come. Are you going to take them? Are you going to find your comfort there? Are you going to find your comfort in alcohol or in money or in sexual immorality or in worldly ambition? Or are you going to hold the line? Comfort and the consolation is something you have to wait for. Even though Christ has come, we're waiting for his return. And God wants to find his people. Christ wants to find faith upon the earth of people who are crying out and pleading, God, send comfort. God, send justice. God, send salvation. And will he find faith upon the earth when he comes? Or will he find a bunch of people who have their heads down all these different holes filled with the comforts of the earth? Or will there be people looking up, crying, come, Redeemer, come. The expectant waiting. Well, to those who by God's Spirit are led to wait, there will be a seeing. And we see secondly here that God gives to Simeon a spiritual seeing. Notice that secondly tonight. Simeon, who receives the revelation by the Spirit that he's going to see Jesus before he dies, then he's led by the Spirit to come into the temple at the right moment, and he sees the baby, and when he realizes that this is the Savior of the world, then he, he praises God personally for what this means for him, but also what it means for the world, and he takes up this baby in his arms. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. He's got a helpless infant in his arms, right? got a baby, and he says, this is salvation. This is salvation. What faith Simeon has. In fact, it's remarkable here, I think, that he says not that this is the baby who will bring salvation, but he says in verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. Del Ralph Davis writes, for Simeon, salvation is something he can hold in his arms. In one sense, we can say that salvation is a plan, God's staggering scheme to have a worldwide Jewish Gentile people. But salvation is not only a plan, but a person. Having him, we have salvation. Isn't that great? Salvation is not simply a plan, it's a person. And having him, we have salvation. It's the Spirit who gives Simeon eyes to see it. It's the Spirit alone who gives us eyes to say as we look upon Jesus, this is salvation. The world can't see it. Many in the temple could not see it. How is it that when the wise men come, whatever it is, months or a year later or something, that that people in Israel don't know anything apparently about the baby being born, about the Christ having come? they, They took Simeon's words just to be the... Wasted verbiage of a senile old man. Couldn't see it. But what a blessing to be able to see it. To know that Jesus Christ is not just a doctrine, but but he's my savior. Right? Jesus is not a, a substance like medicine that saves us. He's not 
like a machine in the hospital that somehow saves us, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he loved us and saved us. Isn't it amazing what the Apostle Paul could say? That Christ loved me and gave himself for me. He's a person. He's a person. Came from heaven to rescue the very ones who plunged themselves into misery. Now, none of us have ever touched Jesus physically as Simeon was permitted to do, but by faith we take hold of Christ and by the Spirit are able to say, this is my salvation. God has prepared him, Simeon says, which you have prepared before the face of all the peoples. This is your work, Lord. It's your work alone. We had nothing to do with it. We can't pat ourselves on the back. We, we didn't contribute anything. This is all your sovereign work of your sovereign grace. Salvation is not that God did his part and we do our part. It's not that, that we contribute half of it. No, our efforts count for nothing in securing our righteousness before God. God has done it all. His is the generous giving and ours is the empty-handed receiving by which we say, thank you, Lord, for the gift. So we have to put to death our sinful pride and give all the glory to God and say this is your salvation, it's your doing. And then we have to see this salvation is not to be hidden in some, some corner, but God has gone public. You've prepared this salvation before the face of all the peoples, Simeon says, a light to bring revelation to the nations, to the Gentiles. Simeon doesn't say, you know, thank you for the gift. It's good for me and a few of my best friends in the temple. Simeon, Jewish man, says this is for the world. For the world. Jesus will say in John chapter 3, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What a glorious Savior. This is the Savior of the world. We want our neighbors to know that. We want the name of Jesus to be proclaimed and, and lifted high. This is the only salvation there is. Christ has come, Simeon says, as a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. And now he's echoing what we looked at in Isaiah 49, right? That... The Lord says to his servant, Isaiah 49, verse 6, It's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. So we're to be convinced that this is what our neighbors need. Despite whatever they say, if they say they don't need any comfort, they don't need any consolation, we know better. If they say they have their comfort, they have their consolation, we know better. Because apart from Christ, everyone lives in darkness. It doesn't matter how much education and sophistication and technology our culture has. Apart from Jesus Christ, it is darkness. John Calvin's sermons, I've enjoyed reading again here. And uh, the sermons on the nativity. If you want to read some really great sermons of Calvin. They preached in 1559 and 1560. In Geneva, and the Banner of Truth has published some of them under Songs in the, the Nativity. But, but Calvin preached these words hundreds of years ago. 
Quote, when Simeon says this salvation has been given to enlighten the Gentiles, the Lord wants us to know that we are wretched and blind and wandering in darkness until we receive the light of Christ. As long as we do not know the Son of God, we are plunged into awful darkness, and the light we think we have leads us further away from him. It's all darkness apart from Jesus. But Christ is the light of the world, and his gospel is light. It's in the preaching of the gospel, the proclaiming of the gospel, that that light is shed abroad, diffused in the world. And by the Spirit, hearts are, are opened up to receive and eyes made to see. And we should be thankful then for this wonder and bless God for light. And even if we grew up, even if we grew up in a Christian home, and as long as we can remember, we've always believed this. We've always believed, we've always, always known Jesus is the Savior. We should recognize that we did not casually fall into believing, and we are not some special class of, of the enlightened who just naturally knew Jesus is the Savior. If tonight you can say, this is God's salvation prepared before the face of all the peoples, prepared from before the foundation of the world, this is the salvation, then you should give thanks to God. And if you've known that from your youth, give thanks all the more to God. This is not a natural thing. This isn't a casual thing. This isn't something you slip into or you just were born knowing. This is the grace of God. That Christ has come to bring light to our darkness, to make us to know God and the way of salvation. He is our prophet. He is the wisdom of God in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. And we, we need to live our lives enrolled in the school of Jesus Christ during our whole sojourn upon the earth. We never get past this. We, we never graduate from the school of Jesus Christ. But he's always saving us from Satan's lies and from our own foolishness. And why is that some people that sit in the church for years, in their latter years, they leave the church and they leave the Lord? And what can it mean but that when they came in, they had estimated Christ according to their own wisdom and their own light, and they decided by their own understanding that Christ is acceptable. And then years later, they decided by their own understanding that Christ was unnecessary. But to live by your own understanding is always death. It's always death. Calvin has it exactly right. The Lord wants us to know that we are wretched and blind and wandering in darkness until we receive the light of Christ. As long as we do not know the Son of God, we are plunged into awful darkness and the light we think we have leads us further away from him. We should be careful that we're not fooled into thinking that our acceptance of Jesus based on our own light is a sufficient acceptance of Christ. Because if you're resting in Christ according to your wisdom, then you may well leave Jesus according to your wisdom. But to yield to the light of Christ revealed in the gospel, And to sit beneath this truth, that is salvation. And that's what we all need. 
So as we hear every sermon, as we open our Bibles throughout the week, we have to plead with a true sense of desperation. God, I cannot trust myself. I must not trust myself. I must have the light of Jesus Christ shining in my heart. I must have my prophet to guard me and to keep me. But as light to the Gentiles is the glory of the people Israel, Simeon says, The nations get this good news, but it was of Israel, the Jews, that had a special place in God's plan to hold that revelation through the centuries and to to bring forth from the womb of the church the Messiah. And yet, though Simeon can say this, soon the Jews will crucify the Lord of glory. But Joseph and Mary see it, and they marvel at these things spoken. We are to be amazed and to rejoice at what God gives our glory and never to be ashamed of him, even in a hostile world. And finally, that's what we see. It is a hostile world. Notice not just the expectant waiting and the spiritual seeing, but finally tonight, the piercing warning. The piercing warning. Simeon says in verses 34 and 35, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now, what a striking contrast in Mary now holding these two things together, or trying to, right? The, the wonder that this, as she's been told, is, is, is the Son of God. This is the this is, this is the son of David. This is the king. And now being told that he's going to face terrible hostility. It's going to be spoken against. He's going to be the opposition of, the, the, the object of opposition and hostility. And being met with anger and rage. Well, we still see it today too, don't we? <clears throat> we see the rage on college campuses. We see the disdain in the media and we... We see the scorn of coworkers or neighbors. In fact, the very Christ who dies on the cross, people take his death on the cross as evidence that he can't be the Messiah. Remember when he's dying. But God in his mercy here by giving Mary this prophecy here through Simeon is actually, he's doing her good, isn't he? As one writer puts it, God used this prophecy to prepare Mary for the crucifixion so that in the end she would believe and be saved. As she watched Jesus grow up, she always remembered what Simeon said, and when she finally found herself at the foot of the cross, she knew that the prophecy had come true. The piercing sword was the death of her beloved son. So this is an act of God's mercy to Mary. Mary, you know, has been through quite a bit already probably, right? She's an unwed mother here. That was probably not very easy, especially in her culture. And then she apparently, it seems that her husband dies, right? And she's alone when it, when it comes to Christ beginning his ministry. And then she's at the foot of the cross there, right? And she's watching her own son be, be tortured, crucified. But here God in his mercy is giving her a word that she might be able to interpret and understand something, that this is what is planned. And God is also working on us through this word, isn't he? He's, he's telling us here that, that we're not basically fine people, but that we actually need our Messiah to die for us. 
The baby is born to shoulder a curse. And his mission is to suffer and to die. And this is the plan from the start. And this is the amazing love of the Son of God that he comes to earth knowing full well what awaits him and what his mission is. And yet, for us to embrace him, we have to humble ourselves, our proud hearts, and say that gruesome Christ ripped apart, hanging on the cross, that's what I needed. That's what I deserved. That was my place. Simeon says that this child's destined for the, for the rising, the fall, and the rise of many in Israel. And Christ will be that, right? For many people, a stumbling block. He's the offense. And for others, he is the resurrection to life. But Christ divides. Simeon says that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. All pretended neutrality in the presence of the Lord Jesus is, is exposed. Jesus shows what a heart really thinks. And Jesus comes in that way to bring not peace but a sword. And that's the hard side of Christmas, isn't it? Because Christmas can seem to be all about everybody getting along and all the unity and all the good cheer. But when the message of Christmas is truly proclaimed, that you are a rebellious sinner and need a Savior to die under the curse for you to save you. And suddenly there's a divide, right? And the sword of Christ comes and it cuts between the believer and the unbeliever. And yet in the midst of that, we may pray, can't we, for unbelieving friends and loved ones. Because Christ has come to bring light, and we can pray that he will bring light, knowing that he's able to overcome even Saul the persecutor, and he's able to overcome any heart that he chooses. But let us make sure our faith is in the Christ, and that in the midst of the sufferings he's appointed for us, and there will be sufferings if you cling to this Christ, that we keep waiting for him, the Lord, to come from heaven. And that we do not seek our consolation and sinful pleasures or even the good pleasures of this earth. But we remain awaiting people saying, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. And at last we will see him. And at last we will be able to touch him. And at last we will be able to say before his face, here is the salvation God prepared for me. As we dwell with him and with our Father and with the Spirit forever. Praise be to God who works upon his people throughout the ages. A church in waiting for the Messiah to come. And yet tonight, Christ having come and we enjoying so much more than Simeon ever saw. Least in the kingdom is greater than Simeon. And yet still tonight, awaiting people. Awaiting people. Looking for the coming of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you. How your word cheers our hearts. How it directs us in the way of faith. And how it secures for us a waiting, an expectation. Pray, Heavenly Father, we will not lose heart. We will press on however many years you give us here below or until the coming of our Lord Jesus. May our Savior find faith upon the earth 
And may we be those who long for the comfort that comes from heaven, even our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Praise be to you. Amen.